Coming up on this week's show, a programmer rediscovers his long-lost game on Twitch. More bad times for GameStop. And we fact-hunt with Guru Larry. This week's show is brought to you by Retro8BitShop.com, the place for all your retro needs. Hello and welcome to the Retro Hour podcast, episode number 209. Your weekly dose of retro gaming and technology news with me, Dan Wood. Me, Ravi Abbott. And me, Joe Fox. And welcome to our first show of February. Oh, I love February because it's my birthday on the 4th. Woo! Is that a little hint that you want cards and presents? Yeah, yeah, get me things, guys. (laughs) I I just want Amiga stuff. I think we need to give him the birthday bumps. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> as soon as we stop recording, you're getting it. Chuck me out the studio. <laughs> but it's good that, you know, finally January's out the way. You know what always happens? January feels like an absolute eternity. Rest of the year, vroom. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Because you kind of crawl to January's payday and then it comes yeah. and then February's just so short. You're just like, oh, it's, it's March now. <laughs> and of course, we've got all the, uh, you know, the retro gaming events coming up in the summer that you can find our calendar so far on our website at theretrohour.com. You know, we've been doing the show over four years now. We've had so many guests on this podcast. I mean, probably about about 205 guests, which yeah, is quite a lot. I, I've actually made a master list yeah. of the guests, and I'm going to put that up on the website because we asked, you know, who's your favourite retro hour person or who would you love to come on the podcast? And loads of people were saying guests we'd already have. Yeah. So I was like linking them to all the episodes, but I'm going to put that up online. But it is a phenomenal list. Now, <laughs> actually quite worryingly though, I, I, I'm suggesting guests that we can get a rose Yeah, we had them on episode 17. Yeah, he was on episode 52. <laughs> so we start to forget we've had on as well. But actually this week's guest... We have had him on before. And but we've it done was... it on purpose. Yeah, we've done this on purpose. We didn't forget. <laughs> now, this is Guru Larry. Now, Guru Larry, Larry Bundy, one of my favourite YouTubers, I think, and sweet for all of us when I say that. He does some incredible videos, probably best known for his Fact Hunt series. Now, these are videos that explore, like, the strangest, most shocking, hilarious, and odd facts from the history of video games. And that could be stuff like, you now somebody's done games that were cancelled for weird reasons or big fallouts that developers had. He's a big fan of Peter Molyneux. He often talks about him in his videos. Well, what, his all. recent one was <laughs> five times piracy helped the uh, video game industry. Yeah. So, you know, that it's an interesting twist on the normal tale. Yeah, and the, the amount of research that goes into his videos and stuff you just learn that you didn't know anything about. And actually, the series has been that successful that now he's turned it into a book. So Guru Larry's Fact Hunt book is actually going to be out next week. So we thought it might be a good time to have Larry back on the show. And maybe just tell us, you know, we're not going to obviously ask him to read the book to us or tell him everything that's in there. But a few of the little anecdotes and stories that you may not know from the history of video games and give you a little taster as to what you can expect from his book that comes out next week. So Larry Bundy, Guru Larry, is going to be our guest on the show in around half an hour from now. Now, last week, of course, we had a brilliant guest. Nathan McCree was on, giving us a story of the music of Tomb Raider. Um, he was the guy behind Tomb Raider 1, 2, and 3, and obviously did that amazing live event as well. Yeah, the um, so the Tomb Raider Kickstarter, which was basically the Tomb Raider suite, which yeah. had a live Tomb Raider concert, and also the one that is announced last week, which is in Paris, which is going to be amazing. Yeah, so I mean, Tomb Raider, we were talking last week a bit about how incredible that music is, and I think everyone who played that game that experience of, you know, when you first see the T-Rex yeah. and you step and you know something's coming because of that music. I think probably the music was like 90% of the tension and the terror. Yeah, absolutely. When even anything just comes out like a bear or a tiger yeah. or anything like that, you know, it's just that tense, incredible music and that incredible gameplay as well. And Nathan just, he wrote all that and then, you know, 
to then go ahead and record this as well at Abbey Road Studios, which is also just such an iconic studio as well. It's just amazing. Well, we had Heather Gibson on last year who did all the level design for the original Yeah, Tomb so she games. worked with Nathan yeah. and they kind of work on the atmosphere in the level and how stuff would get triggered. Now, what we actually have for our listeners is a competition running at the moment and you can enter by going to theretrohour.com and it's basically giving away a signed copy of the title music and this is uh, in the score sheet so this is a musical notation and this is Nathan's music it's signed by him but also we're going to have a double deluxe tin CD set so that's kind of your limited edition CD set with a beautiful hard tin case and that was recorded at Abbey Road Studios as well. Yeah, yeah, okay, that was, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, we did have Nathan on last week, so if you enjoyed that story, you want to check out the music. I mean, I've got a copy here. Not the tin one, unfortunately. We're not important enough to get the tin one. <laughs> but you are. So if you want to get hold of these, two copies of the signed Tomb Raider 2 title music theme, I think, isn't it, the score? Um, and also the um, Tomb Raider Sweet Deluxe tin CD recorded at Abbey Road Studios. All you've got to do is nip onto our website. We're going to keep it open for another week. So it'll close next Friday, um, which open my calendar on here, I believe is the 8th of February, I want to say, 7th of February. And we'll close it at midnight and all the terms and conditions are on there. And then we'll pick two winners at random and you will get those exclusive signed prizes in the post. Now, before we get into this week's news stories and our chat with Guru Larry, let's give a big thank you to this week's supporter. Now, this week's podcast is supported by the incredible Retro8Bit.com. Now, we're all retro collectors in different ways. Joe, you're a bit more of a game collector. Yeah, so I I love collecting video games, love, love, love collecting uh, consoles as well. And then also, I do love collecting uh, controllers for them. And I do love my modern controllers for my old consoles as well. So this is an absolutely fantastic website with a huge library of games you can buy. And as well as it, what I really love about it, from exploring it from what you showed me last week, and I've been exploring it again today, is just the amount of like reproduction controllers you've got, but at just really, really fantastic prices. So really, you can pick up, you know, parts and expansions for your classic systems, new and old mm. so like you said there are new recreations yeah, that you can buy yeah. here too and you get great deals on retro computers and consoles because for me I'm more of a hardware collector yeah. you can play your games I like my systems um, and you can pick up retro games at bargain prices now the good thing about this website is when you buy eBay or places like that or Gumtree or Facebook Marketplace you don't know who you're buying from the thing about retro8bitshop.com is they only work with trusted vendors and they have both set prices and auctions as well so if like us I mean everyone in the retro community complains about eBay prices and you know price driving and all that kind of thing if you're fed up of high ebay prices and fees and you want affordable retro games and hardware for a huge range of classic systems you look on there there's there's little boxes down the side you can pick which console or which system you want to buy stuff for visit them today retro8bitshop.com and of course you'll be hugely supporting the retro hour podcast by doing that okay some good stories to talk about this week i thought this was awesome did you ever like try making video games when you were a kid ravi yeah i did i i made a (laughs) <laughs> I made a role play game about being a tramp. <laughs> and, uh, it, it was called Camby Boggle, and I made it in this like point and click thing, and you just go around like collecting free stuff and kind of uh, trying to trying to get food and stuff about being a tramp. I'm so glad I asked you that question. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Well, have you still got a copy of that game? Uh, I probably have on floppy disk. Yeah, yeah, I basically ripped all my old hard drives out, so I've got a big stack of them. I've got to get an adapter and look at it. But one day I shall release Camby Boggle, <laughs> the, the weird tramp game. <laughs> <laughs> well, for now, we'll have to make do with another obscure game. Now, have you heard of a guy called uh, Rick Brewster? Uh, no. Now, he did um, Paint.net. 
Okay. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Which so. is that's a, like a replacement for Microsoft Paint. Yeah, it's like a free implementation, isn't it? Well, it turns out back in 1994, he was 12 years old then. He made a game called The Golden Flute Four, The Flute of Immortality. Now, this was a DOS-based role-playing game that was inspired by um, a text adventure from a 1984 programming book. They kind of taught you how to write adventure games. It was kind of based on that code. He made his own kind of thing. And it was written on a Tandy 1000 TL2 um, PC clone computer. Now, apparently this game played a bit like a traditional role-playing game, um, according to this article on Kotaku that I'll link to in our show notes. And apparently, after he made this game, he made one copy on a three-and-a-half-inch floppy disk 720k disc, and he packaged it up and mailed it in the post to his cousin on the East Coast. And then he hadn't got a copy of it anymore, he lost it. Yeah. So that was in 1994. You'd assume that game's gone forever. Well, it turns out there's a guy who um, does obscure games on Twitch, um, a guy called McCaw. Uh, he's actually quite good at finding really weird games on old compilations and public domain collections and, you know, old FTP servers and all that. Yeah. And amazingly... He was playing this game on his Twitch stream at the back end of last year. That is crazy. How on earth has he found that? (laughs) Well, yeah, you'd think this guy assumed there was one copy in the world. How on earth did it get there? Well, actually, Kotaku did a little update on this as well. Um, And apparently, like, Brewster replied to them a little bit more information about what he found out after talking to McCaw. Turns out that um, his cousin, when he sent him that disc back in the day, actually must have sent it into a public domain library or uploaded it to a bulletin board. Or even they're saying... Fidonet as well yeah. so he must have been some elite like old school network guy well yeah his cousin must have done this without him even knowing about it back then and it made it onto a compilation called Cream of the Crop 5 Okay, that was a shareware compilation that was put together in 1994 so luckily his cousin actually gave it to someone else so his cousin was... probably just enjoyed it yeah either passed it on to somebody else or was just, you know, knew what he was doing and just uploaded it. Yeah. That's That's insane. (laughs) Imagine seeing that, though. It's just like a game that you wrote when you were 12 years old. I can imagine him, like, second-guessing it, like, I'm sh... No. (laughs) Wait. (laughs) That can't be it, surely. Yeah. It's it's not the cream of the crop, though, is it? (laughs) (laughs) Written by a 12-year-old who couldn't couldn't even keep it himself. But, I mean, I've got... um, My parents moved house a couple of years ago. And I went up into my attic and I got like, I had a load of cassette tapes in there. A lot of them were like old recordings yeah. of um, radio shows, essential mixes back in the day of Radio 1. A few of my old radio shows that I will never listen to, or they will never be uploaded online. <laughs> um, but also, there was um, a couple of old Commodore Plus 4 tapes on there. And I do remember actually, I, I still haven't loaded them up and I probably should because I've got a Plus 4. But there is like, a, I think it's a 90 minute cassette tape of loads of programs I wrote when I was about eight, nine years old on there. Yeah, I, I I think I did a few games as well, so I really want to look into that because I do remember doing a text adventure yeah. on the BBC. We talked like, about the other week, weren't we? Which was based about Tony Blair and Gordon Brown and you were trapped in Downing Street and they were chasing you around. There was something <laughs> like that. It's gone, it kind of been that long ago if it was Gordon Brown. No, because I remember they did a sketch on Brass Eye, which right, was okay, really yeah. similar, and I was like, my God! <laughs> like, yeah. Do you remember Shoot'em Up Construction Kit as well? Shmup. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, but what suck, was that suck. What was that 3D construction kit? I always remember building stuff kit. in that as well. <laughs> I, I tried to recreate Nottingham's Market Square, but um, the memory, I could only do like one little section and a few steps, you know? <laughs> uh, but I mean, I did love that about back then. It was so easy to kind of just jump in with programming and make games as well. Whereas today, it seems like you've got a. It's not as easy to kind of just jump in with these systems, especially if you've got consoles and stuff, I guess, but... Yeah, it must be awesome though to make something so long ago and just rediscover it after yeah, all that time. Yeah, I'd love to. Me and my brother, we used to. Our thing was videos, always making daft yeah. videos when we were kids on the video recorder. 
and it'd be amazing to see them now, like, and just cringe at them. So I can I can only imagine how that must have felt to have seen that. The yeah. videotape was a rarity, so you probably re-recorded all over yeah. them, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I was talking about this on the show the other week. Actually, my uncle gave me a load of eight millimeter tapes, and there's me and my brother on there playing like cannon fodder and that in our bedroom in like ninety two, ninety three. Yeah. So I need to go through and report. It's the first it. version of the retro hour. You it need was. to get that up. <laughs> hey. So my missus said you you were the first YouTuber. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's awesome. And actually, someone was saying on one of the um, I was reading a discussion the other day, kind of following on from this. Someone was saying, like, how much classic shareware in public domain is actually archived and how much of it has been lost forever? Mm. So you'd imagine that all of it got put on the internet. There must be, like, discs that are rotting in people's attic with this code on and, mm. you know, it's going to get lost forever. People should definitely get up there before it's too late and get them all uploaded to the internet, I think. Now, maybe you're a fan of the Game Boy back in the day. Do you have a Game Boy? Me, I have oh. many, many Game Boys. Mm. But yes, I was a big fan of the Game Boy. I absolutely loved my Game Boy Pocket. Did you ever want to play it on a big screen? Yeah, you know what? I always, always wanted the Super Game Boy when I was a kid. Went over to a friend's house once. It was one of those friends, you know, friends with him at school. Only ever went to his house once and he had a Super Game Boy. Wow. And I remember thinking it was the most amazing thing ever. And it was about five of us who went over. And uh, he just got Street Racer for the SNES. And they all wanted to play that. But I was blown away by the fact that he could play Game Boy on his TV. Yeah. But all the other kids, didn't. they didn't care. So he literally showed it me for like 20 seconds and then that was it. And I didn't get my hands on one until I was like 20 or something like that. <laughs> so yes, is the answer to that question. See, I used to watch it on Bad Influence when they did Game Boy reviews. They'd have them up on the big screen behind them. And I was all like, how have they done that? It's obviously using that yeah. cartridge. Well, now, if you've got a bit of a nostalgia for playing your Game Boy games you want them on a big screen you know yeah. imagine playing Game Boy games on like your 65 inch telly you can do <laughs> that now with the Retron Junior now this is by Hyperkin I, I'm actually quite a big fan of Hyperkin I got that do you remember they did the um, the Xbox original Duke controller yeah was that Hyperkin was it yeah the recreation okay. they did yeah. it's like, you know it feels very like the original one mm. but it's kind of got that LED screen and the, yeah. the circle yeah. where the logo used to be great quality bit, bit of kit and actually I don't use it all the time on my Xbox One, but for a bit of a giggle and a bit of novelty when friends come round, they'll be like, oh, here's your controller. <laughs> <laughs> but the Retron range, it's actually been around for a while, hasn't it? They've yeah, so they've, they've had the Retron 5, which is basically a kind of multi-cart machine, yeah. so you can play loads of different carts in there. And they also had the Retron HD as well, which was that NES basic clone version. And mm. this seems to be a really cute little tiny cube, actually. It's quite cool. Well, you might look at this and think, that looks a bit familiar. This was actually an April Fool's Day joke okay. that they did back in, I think it was like 2017. And it actually got that much of a good reaction. They thought, uh, well, why don't we make it for real? So looking at it, it's a very small little box. and I, mean, I thought it was a reused Ouya. Yeah, it <laughs> does look. Could have been. I mean, size-wise, it probably is about the same as the Ouya. It's about as wide as an original Game Boy cartridge, but yeah. like half a centimetre either side of it. And then it's not much taller than one either by the looks of things. Yeah, I mean, they've got one plugged into the top um, yeah. in these pictures for scale. So that does suggest, I mean, you know, when you look at the pictures originally, you think, oh, maybe it's going to be about, you know, a bit, a bit chunkier, maybe the size of like a phone or something. But actually, mm. it's probably smaller when you see it in person. And on here, you can run Game Boy, Game Boy Color, and Game Boy Advance titles. And it comes with a controller that's essentially a, a SNES controller. Yeah. Clone. Yeah. And the colour scheme's interesting, though. It's like <laughs> it's like a wasp. I mean, the one I was looking at was, we've, it's like a golden black. Yeah. And it, it looks quite smart, actually, I thought. I like the design of it as well. It's got various video outputs, too. Yeah, yeah. So it's got HDMI in the back, but then it's also got old school 
you know, uh, coaxial, so you can do it with the scart ones as well, so you can get three of them, your... Uh... Your composite. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, well, yeah that's good, though, because you want to play it on a CRT. I'm not sure... I mean, it doesn't have to put in 1080p. It's a 720p, and obviously it's emulation, um, hardware emulation. I'm not sure how good... Game Boy games will look on your 4K TV, if I'm honest. But <laughs> I imagine it's got some kind of upscaling built into it if it's got the HDMI well, out. Well, well, interestingly, the same with the sound, you know, it, it could be wireless or you could actually plug it in through the headphones adapter, but they also have the Game Boy Link cable working. So oh, wow. they're yeah. talking about Tetris multiplayer. That's um, really Using different ones. But imagine also, I was thinking, you know, LSDJ, which is the DJ software, you may be able to somehow sync those all up and then hook up some kind of mad speaker mm. system. So this could provide, you know, external use. It'll be a nice little portable bit of kit. You know, a lot of things I've been seeing on Twitter and Reddit about it, though, is like people are like, oh, why would anyone want to play Game Boy games on the TV? Like you mentioned then, the the cart that came out on the screen. Yeah. You had the Game Boy player for the GameCube as well. Yeah, you did, didn't you? I didn't have a Game Boy, but I'd happily sit there and play Pokemon Red all day on a big TV. Yeah, yeah. you know, some people want to kick back and play, you know, there's a lot of big RPGs and stuff on the Game Boy, so obviously the majority of the library is just you know, kind of pick up and play puzzles and you know puzzle games and stuff like that. But like Link's Awakening, obviously you've got the Switch version of that now. But Link's Awakening, Pokemon Red, Blue and Yellow, uh, Gold and Silver. I can ima- I can see people sitting back and you know kicking back and playing them on the big screen. Oh, well, I reckon it's going to be out at some point this year. So mm. I think there is a market for it. You know, a lot of people have been kind of dismissing it, but um, I think I think it might surprise us. As someone who's um, not having the best start to 2020, is it time for the weekly video game shops are dying section oh, of the show again? It's not GameStop again, is it? <laughs> oh, I'm afraid it is. <laughs> now, um, they had a really bad... I mean, obviously, for game shops, quarter four of the year is traditionally the strongest one. Yeah. Your Christmas market, that's like, yeah. you know, the most important quarter of the year. Well, it turns out GameStop in America had a pretty bad festive period, um, a revenue loss of 27.5% compared to Christmas the year before. And apparently they're going to be... Um, there's a lot of layoffs happening as well, I've been reading now, on mm. store closures again. And, you know, we have talked about it every couple of months for the last few years, that, you know, these... GameStop in particular seem to be getting hit really hard. I mean, yeah. here in the UK, we had... Um, you know, Game obviously did go under at one point, got rescued. Yeah. So it's difficult to be in the high street gaming market as a as a mainstream gaming shop, I think. Well, I don't know what's going to be left of GameStop because they were talking about this kind of retro yeah. areas that they were going to do to do resurgence. But then I'm reading this and they're saying, you know, um, they'll be closing 180 to 200 underperforming stores by February yeah. uh, 2020. That is yeah. crazy. You know? What I think is quite interesting about it as well is they're blaming the announcements of the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X. Yeah. They're saying it's, you know, because those are on the horizon, that's why there's been this rapid, you know, decline. Mm-hmm. But I can sort of see where they're coming from. But at the same time, you got to look at, like, the back end of the PS3, for example. You have these huge, huge games coming out, like, you know, The Last of Us and stuff like this. Like, real kind of, like, system sellers, if you will. Yeah. And I think that's happening at the moment. You've got, like, Resident Evil 2 that came out last year. You've got Resident Evil 3 on, coming out again as well. You know, there's these big games coming out for for essentially consoles which tens and tens and tens of millions of people have got. So they should be selling, you know, these games, are, you know, they're not selling like a couple of hundred thousand, no. they're selling millions upon millions. So I don't think it is the PS5 and the Xbox Series X. But, I, but I, I also think it's the markup. So like me and Dan, yeah, me yeah. and Dan were in Ireland recently. Yeah. And well, we, we went to the GameStop there and I was going, look, they've got the new Leisure Suit Larry game for the Switch. 
and he goes, okay, looks on his phone. Half the price. Half the price straight away. On yeah. Amazon. Yeah. On Amazon. And yeah. that's what I was getting to. It, it's, it's, it's Amazon and people say, oh, you know, Amazon, you know, making these shops go under and stuff like that. But the reality of it is they're selling it for cheaper. So why would people, I don't yeah. know, why? the only thing, the only benefit I see from going into game in town or whatever is you want it there and then. You fan, you're like, yeah, I want to go get that game there and then. But even then, Amazon's trying to get on onto that now as well. Well, so. also they're kind of blaming the Xbox and PS5 because they're saying that they're seeing growth in the Switch platform. You know, that's their probably strongest area of growth at the moment, the Switch. And if you think about it, they've introduced the Switch Lite as yeah. well, which is a whole yeah. new lower range that kind of younger kids can get involved with and stuff. I think, you know, there is always when a new console generation has been announced and you know your system's going to get replaced, there's always got to be a few more cautious people buying it then. But I think, you know, I look at, like, really those systems, most people are not going to buy them on day one. And if you're buying for, like, you know, for example, my little nephew, you know, he'd be perfectly happy with an Xbox One S at the moment or something. Yeah, he wouldn't yeah. want the latest one. So the games are going to be more expensive for mm, it. Mm. There's not going to be any good software for it for at least a year, two years. Yeah, but then funny you should say that. I was talking to my brother about it the other day, mm. and he was saying that he thinks, I was saying I think they're going to do GTA 6. You know, there's a lot of talk about that yeah. recently. And I was like, I think they're just going to do what they did with GTA 5. It came out right at the end of Xbox 360 and PS3. Everybody bought it on that. Everybody's got that consoles. It sold so well. And then they released it again a year later, you know, or two years later or something on Xbox One and PS4. I was like, they're probably going to do the exact same thing again. And he was like, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised mm. if they do it as a, a launch game to, yeah. to sell Could the consoles. Yeah. And I, 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 he reckons it's going to be a PS5 exclusive. I don't know about that. But no. I don't think he's a million miles off off the ball. You know, he's not. He's in the ballpark. I think. I mean, the blaming the the lack of games as well being sold. I mean, I was you know Borderlands Three that you yeah. know. I know we're got a bit off retro here, but it, it will all tie in. But that apparently seventy five percent of the sales I was reading the other day were digital. Really? Yeah, which like like that surprised me. Mm. If that is the case, but, I, I but believe it was What shops thriving that you see? And I see CEX is absolutely mm. thriving in this time at the moment. I've seen so many kind of items out there and the trade that's being done at CEX is, yeah. is mad. So I think the fact that they're not like embracing trade-ins and stuff, like I don't see that much trading going on at game or GameStop. What makes me sad though is, I mean, we've talked before about... There's a about, few refurbished items, but... You know. Yeah, we've talked before about our memories of game shops when we were kids or teenagers and it's always going to be nostalgic for us, but I think, you know, it's inevitable that it's going to get to the stage where, you know, like Blockbuster, there's not going to be game shops on the high street, mm. which is a sad thing. But I think maybe it won't be the big brands, but maybe the independent shops will survive. But yeah, the fact that GameStop were really wanting to go into the retro thing, that story that we covered last summer, I don't know how many stores have converted into that, but... That is an interesting move. You turn them more into like little mini arcades where people can come and play games of all generations. But just like you said, we were in GameStop last weekend. If I can go in there and open something on my phone and I can find it on Amazon instantly for half the price, yeah, it's a tough why, sell. Why are you going to do it? Yeah. And it's not like you're like, oh my God, I've got to play this game right now. Yeah. You know, the people who've got... Yes, children can be like that, but children haven't got access... They have got access to Amazon, but they don't have access to order it and stuff like mm. that. Whereas you, you know, fully grown-ass adult, you can go, well, if I want to play Leisure Suit Larry, I'll just order it now and I'll play it tomorrow. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You've got the patience. The game is probably not good, that good that no, I have no, to play it there yeah, and then. exactly. <laughs> but I'm just, you know, I'm just using that because you used it as an example. Yeah. But, and I'm hoping yeah. it doesn't happen. Cause I like I like walking into game shops and I like, you know, I like having them around. So it'll be a sad day when yeah. they're not there anymore. But right, let's talk about actually going to physical things you know places that we can go sega world you've talked about that 
in the yeah, past. You yeah. went there, Trocadero Centre. Oh, yeah, in London, lovely, London. lovely, expensive place. <laughs> it was good, though. Um, I remember going in there, and the whole place was themed like a giant pinball game. So, I think Sonic's Pinball or something was Oh, the elevators were, yeah, the escalators. Yeah, yeah. And so, they, I, I, they had go-karts inside, shooting arenas. Oh, it's great. It looked an amazing place. I mean, when I moved to London, probably about 2007, eight, there was actually still remnants of it. In the mm. Trocadero Centre, you go and it was still the the kind of you know the, the the piping sections around the escalators and that kind of oh, thing. Okay. And you could look around the colour scheme; you could tell it used to be Sega World. Obviously, nothing like that over here anymore. But the next time you go to Japan, you could be visiting Super Nintendo World. Yeah, so it's coming to um, Universal Studios in Japan, yeah. isn't it? Which is, I'm really, 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 really excited about that, and I think it's going to the American one as well eventually. Okay. I could, I could be. I'm pretty sure it is. But yeah, they've released like a weird mashup trailer music video to well, announce. Have a, have a listen it. to this. So. This is Charlie XCX. Right. Sounds like the Love Island version of Mario. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's a really weird video. You're right, and it's got. Is it? Is it Gelantis? Oh, the, I don't know. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> I think they did that peanut butter jelly song a couple of years ago. It was in the charts. But they've. It's essentially a music video with a load of people looking surprised and it's kind of a lot of like CGI rendered real life Mario characters but yeah. they're running around the real world. Because, I mean, this is apparently going to launch, the reckon, some point this year, the hopefully um, before the Summer Olympics in Tokyo. They haven't got an official opening date but they reckon it's going to be summer 2020. So I guess they haven't built any of it yet. So <laughs> this is I like... I don't know, because the whole... It's been... It's been a good couple of years now they've been talking about, you know, Nintendo World and stuff like that. And I'm a massive, massive theme park fan and stuff. And I've just not really delved into it too much because it's all been a bit like, when's it opening? It's a bit secretive and, you know, what's actually kind of... Like, you know when the the Star Wars world was being built in the the Orlando... uh, Disney World and then also in the um, the California one. Yeah. You saw all these pictures of like bird's eye pictures of it and people were like, oh, there's the Millennium Falcon being built and there's, you know, the cantina being built and stuff. And, you know, it took a good couple of years for it all to be, you know, kind of built up and everything. And it's I've a big not, job, isn't it? It's a big job yeah. and this is going to be just as big. And I've not seen that. Do you know what I mean? I watch a lot of, you know, I've obviously my first passion is retro games, but then I do watch a lot of videos about Roller coasters and stuff because yeah. I'm really into them. It's another thing I'm really into. And I've not seen much about this. Maybe so, it's Nintendo being like hardcore on the press. It, so. Maybe it's just <laughs> Nintendo know, being yeah. Nintendo. No photos. Yeah, so, but I don't know when it's coming. You know, like, so you're saying, they're saying it could come this year. Summer 2020 is the estimate. Yeah, and they reckon like, mm. so before the Summer Olympics in Tokyo. But they're saying uh, there is a couple of little shots in here because it's hard to see what's real and what isn't in this video. Yeah, because it's so, so much CGI. Yeah. But then there seems to be like a... Uh, a big thing about they're all on their phones on an app. Like, and I know Nintendo are getting big on, you know, the Mario Kart game and stuff like that. Yeah. So I'm kind of worried that it's going to be more... Like virtual kind of thing. Yeah, like it's obviously going to be real and there's going to be stuff there, but then there's also going to be this whole kind of like, I don't know, like augment reality or something yeah, yeah. about it. I'd much rather just go on like a, you know, Rainbow Road buddy roller coaster or something. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I think that's so much more like immersive than kind of doing it on your phone if that makes sense well some of the stuff we do know that is real is in here there's apparently a Mario Kart attraction where it looks like you know four people to a cart so okay. that'd be um, amazing if that's imagine yeah, the real yeah, yeah, courses yeah, yeah. that'd be so good um, and people are wearing wristband, wristbands in it called a power up band and they reckon that you know kind of interacts with different things maybe it could be a, 
an AR thing, like you said then. But apart from that, we don't really know much more about it. And like I said, it's coming soon. But yeah, this video, I don't think, really explains a lot more because it just looks like it could be an advert for a game. Yeah, so it does say at the end, playing the real world yeah. uh, summer 2020. So it, it must be coming this year. But like I say, I'm, I'm, I'm up on Google right now. I'm looking for images of it. And all I can see is all just this CGI stuff. And then there's like one or two kind of like press conference pictures where they've just got, you know, a, a screen with a projection on it and then somebody dressed up as Mario. Which, which is great. Here we go. I've got one picture where they've got, and it does look pretty cool. It looks like Super Mario 3D World, yeah. but it's like under construction. So it, it's, you know, I've got no doubt that there's going to be real, you know, it's going to feel like you're in there, but I just, I really don't want it to be on your phone. You're looking down at your phone and you're like, oh, look, it's Mario up there on my phone. Like, I want it to be, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm completely reading it all wrong from the trailer. <laughs> you know, it could be great though. I'm thinking if this kind of like, so this Mario Kart thing they're on about. Yeah. Imagine you get the actual carts and you're sitting in a like, double dash. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. and your mate in there. Kids then, only. <laughs> yeah, but maybe, have you ever been in like roller coasters where it's kind of, you're surrounded, like the, the images change, it's like a big screen essentially. Yeah, and you know what, Universal, I've been to Universal in uh, Florida twice mm. and without having an actual headset, but these kind of like virtual reality immersive rides and they are really, really, really cool and there's nothing like, you don't have, you just on the roller coaster, you're just on the ride and you just get thrown about. So yeah, if they can, if they, if they're the same as that, then I'm definitely 100 percent all for it, and I'm sure I'll be visiting Japan again. <laughs> There's an excuse. I just want to play at Moo Moo Farm. Yeah, in real life, yeah. Awesome. yeah. You know, the cows and everything. So yeah, I mean, it, it seems like Japan is like it's a place I, I'm hearing a lot more people are going to now. You know, as an yeah. attraction for video games. So that's only going to help. Let's talk about a cute story, one that's going to tug on the heartstrings. A dad adapts a controller for his disabled daughter. Yeah, so this is really cool, actually. This is um, on the BBC at the moment. I've seen it all over the internet. But uh, it's got some really good talking points. So basically, um, Roy Steele, he's, he's got a daughter called Ava, mm-hmm. and she's disabled. She's unable to play on her Switch. Yeah. So he's used this device, which is really cool. We covered it last year. It's the adaptive controller from Microsoft. Now, you wouldn't think that the adaptive controller from Microsoft would actually work on the Switch, but he got a bit of advice. And the advice was from the actual founder of Microsoft's tech lab who helped him with the controller. And what he's done is he's created a box that goes on top of this controller that has arcade parts on it. So it has the arcade buttons, but it also has the, you know, easier controls. Um, it's got twin stick arcade sticks as well, like nice big batons. Yeah, mi- mi- micro switch yeah, ones, yeah, yeah. basically. Yeah, and what he says is, uh, you know, she can now enjoy this game, but what he can do is he can slowly adapt it so that it's easier for her hands to, uh, you know, get to the buttons, move the position of them. And he was doing a demonstration, and uh, we link it on this article, and, you know, she's got a button assigned to the map. Uh, She's got buttons to do everything, really, so she can fully enjoy a game of Zelda. And I think this is awesome to see, you know... um, disabilities kind of being helped with this accessible controller that's the thing because video games you know we often don't think about it as, as able-bodied people mm. that you do need quite a lot of dexterity and you know you need both hands to work with most controllers and i think that is a big area where the video games industry has always kind of lacked really hasn't it it's you know making games accessible to everyone so that's a really good step forward i think i love the fact you use arcade parts as well that's yeah really yeah cool. that's awesome <laughs> now before we get into our chat with guru larry this week let's talk about this um last little story can anyone remember off the top of the head the uh, the contra code 
Go on, Joe. Set the oh, Christmas quiz all over again. Right, give me a sec. <laughs> give me a sec. While he googles it. <laughs> While I'm googling it, no. I want I, like all that comes to my head is uh, up, down, left, right, A, B, start, or but close, that, close. that's uh, Sonic the Hedgehog level select. I think up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B, A, start. There we go. There now, we go. now, why is this important? Didn't read that. This is kind of another one. Um, you know, talking about. Cute little things for the kiddies. This is a toy, a Fisher-Price toy. What is this? It looks like a game controller. Yeah, so this is, like, it's really cool, actually. You know kids just love pressing buttons and playing with stuff. Uh, It's a learn-and-play game-and-learn controller. So uh, you can basically just bash the buttons. It's got a couple of levels. You probably need to learn a little sequence with with it, and you can win. But um, (laughs) interestingly... This kind of Fisher Price toy um, can be automatically won with the Easter egg of using the Contra code. So if your kid knows the Contra code, he's a bad man. Straight away wins. That is insane. I love the fact they put that in there. Now, there's a video here by a guy called a Chris Scullion. Um, I'll just play you a couple of seconds of it that he posted on Twitter, actually doing it on this Fisher Price toy. So here is a new Fisher Price video game controller thing for the kiddies, which I got for my daughter. Um, it's got the usual things you press. Buttons and it says stuff. And then it says numbers and colours and stuff. But, amazingly, if you put in in, uh, in the Konami code, so that's up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B, A. <laughs> beat the game. Awesome. That is incredible. So that obviously the, the programmers behind it put that in as a little Easter egg, but I want one now. But he's <laughs> Yeah, you're just like, oh I love one of them. <laughs> but you know he's probably been sitting there for an hour just playing around to that like, oh when he's bored with his kids and gone, whoa! <laughs> I don't know. I, I would imagine rather than him accidentally coming across it, he probably just put it in for a laugh. Yeah. Like he's, probably, he's, work, he's yeah. aware of the Contra code and he's just like, hey, up. <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely beyond cool, though. So, yeah, well done, Fisher Price. Okay, we've got our retro picks coming up in a minute. The things that we've been looking at in the world of retro that we've been enjoying over the last seven days. Before we do that, though, let's give a big thank you to the people who've supported the Retro Hour podcast. Now, you may know that this show comes out every single Friday. We've been doing it for 209 episodes now. We could not have got this far without your support. Now, all we ask is, if you want to put a little tip into the hat, that's all it is, a little tip jar that we have, and obviously all the money that we raise through this goes 100% back into the running of the show, and let's just keep bringing it out every week for you. Completely for free, the show will always be free, but if you'd like to help us out with the running of it, that is massively appreciated. Now you can do that by going to our website, theretrohour.com, click on the supporters tab, and then you can donate via PayPal, any amount, big or small, and for doing a donation, you will find yourself in the Retro Hour Hall of Fame. Like this week, David Pierce, Alex Rogers, Carl Curras and Graeme Lacey, who all made donations into the running of the show. That is massively appreciated. Thank you so much. And if you'd like to do the same, you'll find it on our website at theretrohour.com. All right, then, before we chat to Guru Larry about obscure video game facts, all about his new book, Fact Hunt, let's talk about our retro picks then. This week, you showed me something really interesting, because I've been messing around with uh, older PowerPC Macs recently, and you found this is an app store for old Macs. Yeah, so, you know, you were showing us this kind of, a while ago, OS 9, obsolete... Um, like a website that had all the software A website on, yeah. that had all the software, yeah. had every version. Well, you know, your, your kind of leopard guys and snow leopard guys, the uh, PowerPC guys, they're basically 
been left unsupported. There's been no updates or anything. So what's happened is the kind of fans, uh, the community have got together and they've created the PowerPC App Store. So you can download this for your Mac. It will have all the kind of up-to-date latest versions of the PowerPC stuff. That includes the um, browser, which is really good, but stuff like SketchUp as well and like Spotify. So, you know, I've been running... Spotify in there, SketchUp, can wow. listen to my tunes, I can do some <laughs> and it 3D works. designing, all works wow. completely fine, yeah. And um, it's, it's available and it's free. That's great, though, because I mean, one thing that you'll find with trying to get software for older machines is often the links on websites are dead, or it's old FTP sites that have been taken offline. Yeah, and also the best thing is they have look and feel as well, mm. and they have all these skins, so I've got a Yosemite theme, at no the way. moment, <laughs> and you can get Sierra themes for all the latest version. You put it on, makes all the menus transparent, uh, makes it pop up and feel like a kind of modern Mac as well. And you've got all your torrent programs on there, Office programs as well, uh, 10.4 Fox as well, which is the, the browser browser for yeah. uh, optimized for the PowerPC. That is good because there's one thing that I mean, I did a video about the Power Mac G4 last week on my YouTube channel. And the one thing you find is, I mean, you know, PowerPC Macs, obviously, they've been discontinued since about, I want to say 2006. Yeah. Um, but if you use like an old Windows machine from that era, there is still software that works on it. And you can still install like if you if you put a bit more RAM in and an SSD, you could probably run Windows 10 all right on like a, a Pentium 4, for example, not speeding fast. But the fact that Apple just cut it off, didn't they? And yeah. you've got these machines that are capable just finding software for them is... Yeah, as long as you don't play YouTube, it pretty yeah. much does everything else, you know. Well, Joe, be out of luck because your pick this week is a, a YouTube. It video. is a YouTuber. Uh, so I've been watching uh, a guy called Ink Ribbon, um, who is more obsessed than with Resident Evil than I am. So Resident Evil is probably one of my favourite game franchises of all time. And this guy just does really awesome videos about Resident Evil. Been watching them all week, falling asleep to them at night. You know, and he just he just does cool stuff, like plays mods of the original Resident Evil where you can play as Barry, Ravi's favourite character. Just like, you know, he plays like and reviews some of the demos and you know like resident evil 4 has the famous kind of like beta version of it and then he taught you know some of the resident evil 1.5 which is that kind of lost game you know playing the you know the rom dumps of them and stuff like that just really is interesting and if you're into resident evil just really cool videos to watch something a little bit different so i just thought i'd give him a shout out yeah absolutely i'll put that in our show notes as well and check out his channel uh, this week i found something good if you are a collector of retro systems or maybe you want your systems to look mint yeah. the one thing that we all did and I've been guilty of this, and I know your mum's been guilty yeah, of this. Yeah, my mum's very guilty of this. <laughs> Throwing out the boxes yeah. for your old systems and games. Because, I mean, how much more money do they go for if you've got the original it boxes? It can double them sometimes, yeah. depending on the console, can't it? And I, I, I only collect boxed. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I kind of wish I did, but I, I mean, the amount of systems I threw boxes out for, you know, back in the day, they were disposable, we didn't think you'd need them. And I'm guilty of doing that in my recent systems as well, which is stupid. Should put them in the garage and keep them. Well, there is a guy who's um, currently producing new boxes for Amigas at the moment. So these actually are quite expensive. Um, the currency, I'll link the website in our show notes, is in Swiss francs. Okay. But I believe they work out at about 50 euros each. Okay. Which is quite pricey for a cardboard box. Yeah, because you might be able to find 
them for that much anyway. But when anyway. you look, at the, these are brand new reproductions. Yeah. yeah. And the high quality than the originals and the glossy as well, so they're not, you know, damp and wet mm. won't affect them, that kind of thing. And they do look like they've just literally rolled off the factory floor like back in 1992 or something. They look incredible. And he's done them at the moment for the Amiga 1200, 500, 600 and CD32. I've seen him on a few forums saying he might be looking at doing these for other systems as well. Mm. So, I mean, if there's a demand for it, it is expensive. But one thing... I think he's quite sensibly done, is inside the boxes, it mentions that they are reproduction. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, I'm just thinking he's not going to get sued by them anyway. That no, I, I guess it stops people trying to sell him on as saying, oh, this is a mint, yeah. you know, yeah. this is a mint version, you know. Well, one thing I've noticed on his site as well that he's done is case badges for the Amiga stuff. And, yeah. and usually you get these kind of silver case badges on eBay, which are a print of ones. These look white and close to the original yeah. which is amazing I, I think i'm gonna buy a couple of these for my f4000 pretend it was like a 040 <laughs> <laughs> well that's kind of his mission i think to make them look as close to the original as possible it's like you said there are lots of people who have done like kind of their own versions of it but they don't look like you know like you remember i mean he's doing them in small batches mm. so the prices are going to be quite high i mean <laughs> you know you're not going to find them in like staples or office supply whatever they're at now but you know gamestop <laughs> yeah exactly. maybe it's a new market for gamestop could, could rescue them retro game boxes but yeah i look at that though and i'm thinking can i justify paying 50 quid for an amiga 600 box but then i'm like when am i ever going to get the chance again so maybe i'll bite the bullet you know oh, just to put it in your garage yeah just to put it in my garage <laughs> So show me this site, Dan. It's dangerous. <laughs> I'm looking around. God. Ravi's got his credit card out. Yep. So uh, if you want to check it out and do the same, everything we talked about in this week's show will be in our show notes, along with everything else at theretrohour.com. Check out the events we've got coming up over the summer as well. And now let's get into this week's very special guest. Guru Larry joins us again to talk about his amazing new book, Fact Hunt. <laughs> You're listening to the Retro Hour podcast, and let's welcome on this week's special guest, getting stories about some of the strangest, most shocking, and hilarious and captivating things from the world of video games. That's someone we've had on before, but it's actually been quite a while. Let's welcome him back to the podcast, Guru Larry. Welcome. Hello there. I've actually been here the whole time. I've just kept Craig very quiet in the background. <laughs> <laughs> it's on that fader with Skype on for three years. <laughs> yeah, I'm the one who's been making that annoying hissing noise all these years. <laughs> well, it was 2017 the last time we had you on. And actually, before we started recording, you mentioned that's when you started writing your book. Yes. Literally, yes. So we're sort of top and tailing it, aren't we, with this? So, <laughs> so I mean, obviously, people know you from the Fact Hunt series on YouTube, I'm sure, and that's what the, the book is about as well. I mean, for those, yes. you know, that 1% of our audience that may not have seen it, what's Fact Hunt about? Uh, it's, uh, it's uncovering sort of uh, funny anecdotes from gaming history and stuff like that and stories, things like that. Just some of the weird stuff rather than just uh, giving off a list of, you know, did you know sort of facts. It's just the funny stories behind everything and stuff. A lot of things that everybody's forgotten about as well, lots of weird things uh, from the do, past do you kind of have a knack then for remembering you know obscure facts and trivia i do i've got a quite sort of good memory for uh sort of remembering things i read as a kid and stuff like that and then bringing them back years later and what's been your most popular fact hunt video uh it's what well, the most popular one in terms of views it was uh games uh, unbeatable games uh, due to the developer being a, a douchebag really <laughs> i see <laughs> basically they purposely made the game unbeatable yeah. So, yeah. And I remember I watched that video like when it came out, and I remember there were loads of different reasons. It wasn't like some of them were kind of 
Was it like one guy didn't did it as like a protest or something? There's some that just didn't have the time. There's various reasons I remember. Yeah, some of them, some of them didn't have the time, and that mm. some of them like run out of memory for the game, especially Spectrum stuff. And uh, another one just thought nobody'd ever be able to beat the game, so why bother <laughs> putting in an ending and stuff? <laughs> so. I mean, how long have you kind of had this, like, you know, knowledge for video games trivia? I mean, did that kind of go back to when you were a kid? Were you like, the, did yes, you tell them everyone yeah, pretty much so. Yeah, I mean, I was, a lot of the facts I've, I've read as a kid out of Amstrad Action and stuff like that. So uh, the big the big one I remember was, um, do you remember, the, do you know the game Squeak? The little puzzle game, sort of, you know, that fluffy yellow thing. Uh, it came out on the Game Gear as well. Uh, Slider, it came out on that. Anyhow, uh, they had to record the Amstrad version because a programmer put in swearing. So, and like for years, nobody believed me in that until I managed to dig out the original sort of piece of Amstrad action saying, you know, it's, he's been recording that because uh, they found an earlier build of the game where they just played messed about with it one night and they accidentally gave that to US Gold and released that. No way. So, yeah. So. That's the thing about them, though, before you had the internet to check things. I remember hearing all these, like, you know, playground rumours about stuff that you'd find in games, and, like, you had no way of verifying it back then, did you? Yeah, yeah, it's always uh, my friend's older brother's dad <laughs> works for Microsoft and things like that, you know. And there was always kind of a disconnect as well with the programmers. Do you think a lot of it was, like, programmers trying to, you know, uh, passively, aggressively have a go at management? <laughs> I think so. There's a lot of the time they sort of snuck stuff in. Um, I've done a video on sort of hidden rants in game code and stuff like that. Uh, and there's quite a few fam- famous ones, like Richard Applin. He done a, you know, he used to write entire diaries of rants in his game code and that. To the point that he had to release uh, Final Fight on two discs. His rant, hidden rant code was so long. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. And with all these like facts and trivias, you know, just kind of like swirling around in your brain and stuff. And I guess it must be really difficult to decide what video to make next and what's a good story. How do you do that? Uh, well, it's a case of sort of sitting in them and trying to find, find sort of relevant ones to join them with as yeah. well. I mean, sometimes I got like a really good one and I'll sit on it for years. I mean, mm. I've sat on some of these like four or five years at the moment, just waiting for something relevant to come along. And others just sort of come up in five minutes, really. The next one's coming up in five minutes, actually, when I come. So, and what's that going to be? Can we can we get um, an inside? It's, <laughs> uh, game, no, it was, uh, it's about game crashing glitches. Okay, okay uh, that brick your console. Oh really? Oh okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty interesting. So Bri- yeah, brick your system. What as in like break it? Yeah, literally make it unusable. Can you tell us one of them then? What? Uh, well, if one of them was uh, Don- uh, Diddy Kong's Quest. On the on the Super Nintendo, there's a a way to brick the game, and le- it literally ruins the cartridge. You can't do anything with it. That's crazy. So, I never yeah. knew that. <laughs> Such a popular game as well. Like I yeah. suspect you to say some really obscure <laughs> Spectrum game, or you know something you know very you know mid eight mid eighties primal, but not something from that kind of era. Wow. No, no. Yeah, and I've got some for the Nintendo and stuff like that as well. That's actually bricking virtual consoles and stuff. So. Joe's going to try it out when he gets Yeah, home, I'm going to definitely keep an eye out for that one. <laughs> so, yeah, just try it in. Basically, you, you could ruin somebody's console with it if you type it in or like a certain password and stuff. It ruins wow. their games and that. So, That's crazy. It's like the equivalent of typing in boobs and the computers and Dixons as a kid. <laughs> Do you think after that video, there's going to be loads of people like, oh, I'll type this code into your game and get you onto the next level? <laughs> I, think, I think there's going to be a few angry people saying, my friend did this for a laugh and that. You owe me a free game. So. <laughs> So why did you decide to actually put it into a book then, rather into your YouTube videos? I don't, I don't know. I've always wanted to do a book, but I sort of got asked along 
to do it uh, from Unbound contacted me because Ashen's uh, released a book as well, Stuart Ashen, and uh, he they asked him if he knew anyone else that might want to do a book, and he suggested me. So they Unbound wrote to me and asked you, you know, do you want to do a book on your series because it's quite popular. And, and then I reluctantly said yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that was a very popular book as well, wasn't it, Ashen's? Yeah. Yes, we done a sequel, didn't it? So. Mm. What's the process been like writing for it? Uh, it's been all right. It's uh, sort of getting uh, fact-checking as well and sort of it's taken so long to sort of develop this book that you've had to go back and rewrite things because, like, history's changed since that, that's happened as well. And is there any times where, like, you're kind of, you know, going back and double, triple-checking that fact? You're just like, that sounds so ridiculous. I just need to kind of <laughs> quadruple check that before it goes into the book uh, a couple of times yeah especially anything involving death in the book as well i've had yeah. to properly check sort of dot your t's and cross your eyes and i think that's the thing you know when you're doing it on a youtube video it must feel like getting it down in print is a bit more permanent yeah very much so yeah because that's definitely set it in stone you can't yeah. do a follow-up without <laughs> costing a hell of a lot of money really so <laughs> I mean, looking at the book, the first thing that stands out is um, the cover. I mean, that's really eye-catching. You actually got Steve, uh, Steve Pickford. I did, yes. Design. I that's... thought it'd be not nice to get the bloke who done the artwork for Plock and that. I thought it'd be quite cool. He's got a piece, uh, a box art cover for Plock that was rejected. And uh, I really liked it. And I said, could you do something along the lines of that? And he said, all right, then. And... Uh... <laughs> And I sort of uh, that's sort of the the fact hunt logo as well is done in a sort of sort of Monty Python type way as well. Uh, so yeah, so it's yeah a bit of sort of this and that. But he sort of hit, hit the nail on the head straight away with it first time really. And didn't there's nothing I asked him to revise about. He got it perfectly, exactly what I wanted first time. I think when you look at it as well, I mean, it just doesn't look like other video games books. No, well, I just I just didn't want to do somebody who's you know see a lot of the American books and that all like cup pretending to be like Nintendo box covers and stuff like that, or just 8-bit sprites everywhere, and I just didn't want to be like that. I just wanted to be something a bit more fun, sort of attention-grabbing. If you put it on the shelf and that, you'll see it a lot more. Do you have any other contributors to the book as well? Uh, yeah, I've got a couple of others. Uh, Ashen's done it for my book this time, because I've written for both of his. I've got people like Did You Know Gaming, Miss, Mr. Biffo, uh, Violet Berlin, uh, and a, a few others, a few other YouTube channels and that. I've asked them to come up with sort of uh, facts, interesting, funny facts and stuff like that. Like the uh, Easter Egg Hunters uh, does a piece for the book and he's done one on Easter eggs and stuff like that. So a lot of sort of relevant things to them, as it were. Well, you mentioned Violet Berlin then, obviously, you know, bad influence legend. Mm. Um, she contributes to the book. What's what's her section about then? Uh, she's about uh, video games that she's been involved with or she's cameoed in. So I remember there's Micro Machines 2. Mm-hmm. She was in. Oh, there was that a reality one as well. I can't quite. Normality. Eat. Normality. That yeah. was it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you can get it. Off, you get it for like two quid on Steam now. So. Yeah, that that was a really uh, kind of groundbreaking game as well, mm. wasn't it? In, in I, style. I, I found out. Well, I found out from uh, the book, she, the, the article she wrote for me, that she was also in one of the Tony Hawk games as well. So that was quite a surprise. Which game was she in then? What? Uh, Tony Hawk Underground. I don't know if it's one or two, but yeah, she was in one of them, so that was quite a surprise. Yeah. Was she a playable character then? I believe so. At least she was a skin in the characters. Uh, You could play as, choose her as a sort of selectable character type skin type thing. But I'm not sure. I'll have to read my book again. (laughs) (laughs) Learn some facts from it. (laughs) (laughs) I'll have to to steal them for you two. So you also explore one of my favourite topics, which is cancelled sequels in the book. Uh, Do any spring to mind that are particularly sad? Yeah. 
it's not sad as in respect to uh, the games were actually released mm. in the long run. So they all just sort of reformat into a new sort of genre, uh, a new IP. Mm. Like uh, I've got in the book Burnout Paradise 2. Uh, that was cancelled and turned into a Need for Speed game. And also uh, the last, the Future Strike as well. That was turned into Future Cop LAPD. Yeah, I was going to say, because that was going to be for like yeah, Jungle Strike, Desert Strike, like that kind of. That, that yeah. was a great game, though, Future yeah. Cop. Yeah, now I, never, now I, I loved, know why I love it I so love much. I love Future Cop, yeah. and I never knew that. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's supposed to originally supposed to be called Future Strike. So, And there was um, Assassin's Creed. That was meant to be another well-loved franchise, wasn't it? Yes, that was uh, uh, Prince of Persia Assassins, it was supposed to be called. No oh, way. wow. Are, are there any books that you've kind of taken influence from or, or, or any ones that you've read and really excited uh, you? Well, into, I wanted my book to be a sort of like a Guinness Book of Records, just sort of a big book that you could sort of flick through easily on the toilet and stuff, you know, just lots of easy reading, short pieces and stuff like that that you can pick up and put down straight away, stuff like that. So, yeah, stuff like uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not books and Guinness Book of Records in that respect. I think you just made a new genre there, toilet books. Yeah, well, it is. It's, you bring a toilet, you, there's always like a couple of books to bring to the toilet, and that's so you can have a quick read for five minutes while you're doing your business. Yeah. Well, you also cover um, shocking business blunders in the book as well. Like, uh, tell us a bit yeah. about the um, the Atari Jaguar pre-order disaster. What happened there? Uh, well, they decided uh, they got a load of pre-orders for Europe and that, but they decided to allocate all of those pre-ordered consoles to the US because they thought the US is going to be their biggest market and everybody's going to buy one there, and uh, they didn't sell. So they cancelled a load of potential pre-orders for nothing. Wow. Do, do you often find that's like managers coming in or, or people who don't really understand the company and just go uh, think, kind of yeah, gun ho I, you know? I, th- I think it's people sort of, yeah, a combination of people not knowing the industry and good old-fashioned greed, really, I think. Well, I, also I was quite shocked to find out that Mortal Kombat was going to be apparently a, a system exclusive for the home. Yeah, that, that is something I've never heard anywhere else before. Uh, it was going to, well, basically, they were going to acclaim or midway. They offered it to um, NEC to be a TurboGrafx exclusive originally. And uh, basically, they turned around and said uh, that fighting games are a fad and it's not worth the money. So we might not have got that on the Super Nintendo or the Mega Drive. It could have just been on the TurboGrafx. Yeah, exclusive to the TurboGrafx. It would have been a very different game, I think, then, wouldn't it, in history? Well, I don't think people would have much fond memories of it. I probably wouldn't be on Mortal Kombat 11 by now, because mm. nobody would have played the thing. I was, gonna, I was literally about to say how it would be a different world without Mortal Kombat as well. Yeah. <laughs> so you also have a section on disastrous video game launches, one that stu- stood out in recent times as Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 5. Mm. The full game wasn't even on the disc, is there any other kind of standout ones? Well, obviously, the most famous one of all is probably the uh, Batman Arkham Knight mm. PC launch that even to this day is completely unplayable and broken. Yeah. And they just and they just gave up in the end. They said, no, no point patching it. Just offer everyone a refund, cut our losses. So you kind of said you cover a few modern things there. Is there like a time limit on the stuff that you cover or are you mainly looking back at the past? Uh, no, I, I do like to cover modern stuff because, especially on YouTube, because everybody sort of cares more about modern stuff now. I think the sort of cut-off point for people watching YouTube now seems to be like the PlayStation One era now for retro gaming. So I, you know, so I sort of focus. I try and focus on what people would be interested in this moment in time, really, more than anything. Uh, a lot of modern stuff is sort of relevant to people. I mean, talking about disastrous video game launches, one that you know I remember <laughs> being really hyped for when I was a kid, and then it was dragged out for a long time. Putty Squad. 
Have you got? Have you had him on the show yet? Oh, Mark. No, we we interviewed him at Play Expo, but I don't think it recorded properly. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've asked him to come on about ten times, but he hasn't since. Yeah. So. No, I, I, I heard I, it was found on a dat tape. Um, <laughs> that's what I heard. No, Mark's lovely. I I think it's uh, a case of sort of promising more than you can do, sort of pitomology syndrome, as it were. You know, sort of promising the world and giving you nothing. He offered everybody a free... I mean, when the PlayStation 4 version of Putty Squad came out, he offered a special edition that you got a free copy of the long-awaited Amiga version for free with it. On a disc, if, if I recall correctly. On a floppy disc, yeah. And he suddenly said, oh, sorry, we can't find any discs. And there are websites you can get discs off these days. Yes, yeah. well, <laughs> apparently, well, apparently he doesn't know how to use the internet. And also... Um, <laughs> Uh, he sort of debunks a, an interview with Eurogamer calling them sort of liars. You know, I never said that, even though there's video of me saying that. So, <laughs> so, so, yeah, I remember that it was like, it was a demo on the magazine cover disc, and then, yeah, then it got found and it got released free eventually. But, mm. yeah, then it came out on the PlayStation 4. I mean, that must have been, you know, people took the mickey out of Duke Nukem Forever. I think Putty Squad is like, about a 25-year wait, I think, for Oh, yeah, for absolutely. Game. I mean, it did come out on Super Nintendo. Yeah. As well, but yeah, but I think the uh, the much hyped Amiga version. So I think he 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 couldn't get it to work in the end. He had to get a fan a fan sort of offered to finish it off for him, and that's be and he put it on his website for free. So yeah, it was an ex pirate, I think, actually did it. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, there's a section in the book as well about um, games that were renamed. And we mentioned Tony Hawk's before. People forget the first pro skater game had a different name in the UK. Yeah, it did. Yes, Tony Hawk skateboarding. What was because the deal there? they thought people would think it's a video game about ice skating. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't surprise me actually. With the British. Yeah. Well, there was there was a lot of fights between skateboarders and bladers back in my day. So maybe. And any other kind of um, games that were renamed that kind of spring to mind? I know Puckman was a famous one. Yes. Well, obviously, yeah, because they changed the P to an F. Yeah. Um, I'm, try- I'm trying to think. Uh, Mortal Kombat uh, Deception was renamed in France to Mortal Kombat Mystification. Because deception is also the French word for disappointing. Uh, <laughs> Mortal Kombat disappointing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, pretty. <laughs> there have been a few Mortal Kombat games. There has there. been a few. There has yeah. been a few. So <laughs> video game movies, you know, that's another kind of huge topic that I'm into. They're obviously very rarely that good, but you cover announced movies that never came out. Uh, so apparently there's going to be a Metroid movie. Can you tell us more about that story? Uh I could do, but I'm, I didn't write that section. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, no worries. I, know, I know a few. I don't know that one in particular. I'll have to have a look up on that one. But I know other ones. Like there was a Spy Hunter game on mm. the PS2, and it starred The Rock. That was going to be made into a movie. There was a Kane and Lynch movie uh, with, uh, what's his name from Die Hard? Bruce Willis, Bruce Willis and yeah. Jamie Foxx. I remember that one, yeah. It's weird how so, they announced them, then they never come out. Like Heavy Rain was meant to be a movie. Yeah, so I remember that as yeah. well. Mm. I think there's a huge uh, list of rights online and it's like, these ones might come one day. (laughs) Well, there's going to be a crazy taxi movie at one point as well, wasn't there? Yeah, wasn't it like last year or the year before where Sega announced like a Golden Axe movie and Shinobi movie and everything that we still haven't seen the light of day of yet? Oh, that's because Uvi Bulb doesn't make movies anymore. That's why they're not being made for Sega. (laughs) Crazy Taxi might be a good one, though. Yeah, I think they said it's going to be like, there was planned to be like, it's a mad, 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 mad world. So, sort of a crazy dash. So, maybe it's like Smokey and the Bandit type movie or something like that. Maybe trying to go for. You'd go see it, wouldn't you, Jim? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I'd go see them all. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Well, there is a section in the book just like random facts, you know, some kind of quickfire stuff. Um, mm. A lot of them kind of you know, really caught my attention. I didn't realise some of them. Like, for example, the PlayStation 2 was technically not a console at all, according to Sony. Uh, well, in, in Europe, uh, they thought they could get a tax uh, break if they declared it as a computer rather than a console, and that's why they bundled Linux with it at launch. And then they kind of panicked and removed it when they realised yeah. everybody <laughs> could do piracy. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And Flashback, you know, that game by Delphi, it's one of my all-time favourite like, cinematic mm. platformers. What was the link with The Godfather then? Uh, basically, they pitched it to US Gold because they had the rights to The Godfather at the time, didn't they? Yeah, uh, they made that Amiga game. Uh, basically, they wanted to make uh, a Godfather Part Four, but it was set in the future and in space. That would have been a flashback. Yeah. Wow. And what about The Sims getting inspired by a house fire? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it is. Uh, Will Wright. He got paranoid. Well, basically, his house burnt down, and he got sort of paranoid about what if he rearranged his furniture in a certain way that the fire would break and burn slower to his through his house, and that sort of micromanaging every single thing in his house sort of started off the development of The Sims. That and he enjoys watching people poo, probably. (laughs) Allegedly. Yeah. (laughs) Allegedly. Well, we come from Nottingham where they have a free radical design as well. I come from Nottingham where they enjoy watching people poo. (laughs) In medieval times. There's not much to do in Nottingham. (laughs) In the trend. Um, no, uh, we we have free radical designs there, and um, you know they were developing time splitters, and uh, you cover a lot of cancelled games in the book. So I was wondering what happened with time splitters four. Uh, time splitters four, I believe they said they cancelled it because they didn't like the cover of the box. Wow! <laughs> Basically, they, didn't, so they uh, finished they, it, and then yeah. well, they didn't like because uh, like, they got that sort of um, Riddick sort of guy, didn't they? In time splitters, future perfect. Mm. And they didn't like him. They didn't want him on the box. And then they thought, well, who else can we put on the box? And, oh, dear, we haven't got any other characters, so let's cancel the game because we haven't got any characters put on the box. My God, what a, what a reason. <laughs> yeah, because we're, we're covering a kind of Time Splitters remake at the moment where they're trying to do that Time Splitters. Oh, I've seen that. It's really good, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Like a fan one, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Time Splitters Rewind. That's the one. That's the one, yeah. yeah. Streets of Rage 4 was meant to be released on the Dreamcast. I've heard, you know, things in the past about how like that kind of became Fighting Force. Do you know a little bit more about that? Uh, yes, yeah, so basically Core pitched to Sega. They wanted to make a Streets of Rage 4, and Sega said yes. And halfway through development, uh, they said, oh, by the way, we're making it for the PS1. And sort of Sega freaked out. So, you know, how dare you make a well, big IP for the competitor? So they cancelled it. That would have, Everyone wanted that game for so long, though, didn't they, as well? Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. And that would have been amazing on the Dreamcast. Yes, uh, Sega Sega did sort of develop, start developing their own version because they mm. licensed it and they're going to rename it to Judgment Force, I believe, or something. And uh, But that got cancelled in the end. But it's, it's been leaked online since the game. We also do a section on their pointless peripherals. Um, yes. One, so one I actually got as a kid. Do you remember those awful um, cheetah character joysticks? You cover them in there as well, don't you? Mm. Um, I got the Bart Simpson. Like painful. It's like arthritis in a carpal tunnel in a really plastic shell. They were not comfortable. You like Bart Simpson's head, and you had mm. to use it as a joystick and really? the fire button on the side. It looked cool, but yeah. you know, using it was horrible. I mean, what other ones you kind of talk about in there, like um, peripherals? There's a there's a sort of a thing that you could uh, put your Atari controllers into, and it's essentially a giant piece of wood, and they wanted twenty quid for it. So, so yeah, basically, yeah, to put your controller on a piece of wood, they wanted twenty pounds for it. 
That's uh, so stuff there's loads of funny things like that um there's the terminator controller which is shaped like a grenade as well which is incredibly painful to use i've heard yeah i don't think ergonomics came into a lot of these did they? oh no 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 just no it's definitely a style over substance <laughs> well larry no this sounds like there's loads of interesting stuff in this book i mean tell us when we can get hold of it then and how it is coming out february the 6th and it's available on amazon and all good bookshops and a couple of crap ones as well <laughs> so, I mean, next week is the time that the show comes out, so we'll obviously put links in our show notes as well. Oh, thank you. And uh, what's going to be coming up on your YouTube channel then? Well, I'm sort of go by case by case on what episode video I'm going to do next. Mm-hmm. Sort of, uh, I've got various numbers of scripts in the various stages and stuff like that. But like I said, uh, hopefully by the time this video comes out, I have done one on retro games that had to be re-censored when released on modern consoles. Well, I bet sometimes when you go to shows, you hear people saying facts, supposed facts about games, and now you can get the book out and go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the real reference. It's written down. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's true. Well, Larry, it's always a pleasure to catch up with oh, you. Yeah, thank you very much for having me as well. Yeah, no worries, and we'll speak to you again soon. Excellent. Goodbye. See, I'll see you again in four years. Enjoying the show? Why not check out some other great retro gaming podcasts like Retro Asylum, RGDS, Maximum Power Up, Arcade Attack, Arcade Perfect, and the 10 Pence Arcade.